Welcome to episode 138 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. One of the questions I often ask my podcast guests is, what do you find most rewarding about the work that you do? I love how it gets them to talk about their work in a different way, not just their usual spiel. They usually share about the impact they see they're having on their clients and how that is what motivates them to keep doing what they do. Well, I recently experienced one of these moments in my own business. Last summer, I started working with Tammy Guler-Loeb, an executive and career coach who's been coaching clients one-on-one for nearly two decades. She came to me with a dream that she'd been wanting to move forward on for a couple of years. Tammy wanted to host a podcast, but it felt like an overwhelming goal and she knew she needed support. Some of the hurdles were technical, but I know from personal experience that there are mindset hurdles to overcome as well. As a member of the MORE program for entrepreneurial women, she got the support she needed to get past all of these hurdles. Being in a small mastermind of like-minded, passionate, and committed entrepreneurial women was part of her success. Participating in the masterclasses gave her new ways to think about her expansive network and shift her mindset around what was possible. Six months after we started working together, she launched her show, Work From the Inside Out. And just four months later, her show was included in the 2019 Top Career Podcast Guide curated by Mac Pritchard, host of the top-rated Find Your Dream Job podcast. In the words of my wife, who recently got hooked on Mac's podcast while doing her own job search, this is a big deal. Your challenge for this week, what dream are you hoping to achieve in 2019? How would it feel to achieve it? What does success look like? What if you didn't try and took the easy way out instead? What's getting in the way of your success then if you're so committed? How can I help you achieve your big dreams? Reply to this email to chat about how we might work together or who can refer you to that would be able to help you. I can't wait to talk to you. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest helps innovators, idealists, and iconoclasts get unstuck. She helps them push past the doubt and indecision that consign great ideas to limbo. She is a serial entrepreneur who has started and sold a successful international executive search firm, built philanthropic and political action committees from scratch, and was a White House appointee on the team which created the National Service Project, AmeriCorps. She's the author of multiple books, including her latest, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. Not a surprising topic for someone who describes herself as a lightweight champion of the get the hell out of your own way world, a competitive rower, and a professional badass. Please join me in welcoming Laura Gassner-Odding. Hey, how are you? I'm fantastic, Laura. I'm so thrilled you're joining me for your office in Newton, Massachusetts, which is around the corner for me. But I'm, I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad we got a chance to meet in person. Uh, I want to just jump right in. This is a show about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, how do you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I think I realized that I had the skills to lead right about the time that I figured out my definition of leadership. Um, so I think they kind of coincided. I spent a lot of my early years, as you mentioned, in politics. And in politics, the leader is always the, the person out front, the one in front of the crowd, the one who is who is the headliner. And, and we call them leaders. And I just assume that that's what a leader was. Everybody you learn about in school who's a leader is the person who's out front. You know, you learn about Martin Luther King as the leader. You learn about Rosa Parks as the helper, right? As the person who was sort of there, part of it. But the truth is that both of them were leaders. And it wasn't until... It wasn't until I learned that my style of leadership, which is leading from the back and from the side, was actually also leadership. Then I was like, oh, that's leadership. And oh, that's what I do. And oh, I can be a leader in that way. And that's when it sort of all came together. That's great. I, I love this um, this particular example 
given that we're recording this in January, we just had Martin Luther King Jr. Day and the acknowledgement of Rosa Parks as a leader and not just a helper. I, I was a great, a great um, sort of historic example. And I, I also, there's a photo of MLK uh, where he's, he's actually in the middle of the crowd, um, not in the front of the crowd. And someone pointed out that that's true leadership. Like yes. it's, it's, it's a, you know, organizing people to take action and inspiring them to take action. So I, I love the visuals that you're representing through this. So, I, I, but early on, like Laura, when you were in, you know, grade school and, and high school and college, were you the type who then were, you, because you got into politics early on, did you seek out office yourself? Were you the kind of person to look for that kind of in front of the room opportunity or were you kind of hanging back even then? Yeah. I mean, I thought I was going to be the person to solve all the problems, right? Like that was what I thought leaders did. There were problems in the world and I thought they had to be solved. I was I was righteously indignant about social injustices when I was growing up. And I thought the way that you solve those problems was through politics, was through leadership. You know, I grew up at a time when when the six o'clock news, you would watch the local six o'clock news. And at the end of the show, the local anchor would do like a, a, a an op-ed. They would, they would give an opinion piece for a few minutes. They would talk about something, whether it was like growing up in Miami, it was like, you know, speedboats and Biscayne Bay and the manatee population, or it was what what they thought we ought to do about um, the Iran hostage crisis. I mean, it could be local, it could be international. And then we would turn off the TV and we would talk about it as a family. And um, it was always through the lens of politics because the way that those op-eds were done, it was always this conversation about, well, what should the leaders do? What should the policy be made? And it wasn't a lot of conversation about, well, what are you going to do? Like, um, you know, we both know Alan Casey from uh, City Year and 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 local Boston nonprofit uh, work. You know, he wrote a book about being big citizens. Right? We, we don't we didn't talk about being big citizens. There's no citizen leadership. You 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 know, you grew up, you went to school, and it was like, are you going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, a nurse, a teacher? There were professions, but we never really talked about the helping profession. I never went to school thinking there are jobs in nonprofits. There are jobs in, 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 in doing other things and entrepreneurship and all of these great things that we can do today. It was either, you know, you, you, you have a career or you go into politics and those are the people who make change. And so I assumed that if I wanted to make change, that would be my path. That was what I was going to do. And I was going to be, you know, the first female senator from the great state of Florida. That was my goal. P.S. There still has not been a female senator from this great state of Florida. So that's an issue. Um, but then I went to law school because I assumed, of course, that's how you go into politics. You do it through the, the journey of law. And I got to law school and I skipped kindergarten because, you know, I knew how to stack blocks or something and share. And I graduated early from college. And so I was 21 years old sitting in the January class at University of Florida thinking, I'm not going to get into Harvard. So I might as well go to the best law school in the state. So I have like in-state credibility. What am I going to do? How, you know, what's, what's my role? And I looked around 21 years old in this January class of, of, of non-traditional students, people who come back to school, they were later in life. And I realized I wasn't like any of them. I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't find, they weren't my tribe. They weren't my people. They were showing pictures of the kids and their grandkids to each other. And I couldn't even go out and drink legally. You know, at the end of like, I was turning 21 in like three weeks after school started. And, and, and I just, I, I, I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. And then a few weeks later, uh, I, I got involved in in uh, Bill Clinton's '92 campaign and uh, fell in love with him because of this idea that he discussed about community service in exchange for college tuition. And I thought, oh my God, that is so amazing. That needs to happen. It's no longer what can I do to help? How can I be the solution? But that's the solution. And what role can I play in making that solution happen? And and so I ended up working in politics, but not as the leader, as the helper and realizing that I had no interest in being the leader. I had no interest in being center stage and under the lights and under all of the the, the um, scrutiny. I, I'm a raging introvert deep in my soul. And so I want to actually be the person who's there helping create change, but I don't want to be the headliner all the time. That's not my comfort space. And in fact, I lead better from the, the corner and the side of the room than from the center stage. Well, and you did have a huge impact in that moment because you, you, I mentioned in my uh, intro of you about how you were on the team appointed 
by uh, the Clinton White House, the, the Bill Clinton White House, we should say, um, to to do um, to create this this amazing uh, new service uh, opportunity through AmeriCorps. And um, and you also mentioned City Year and like the, the, all these ideas of how service happens and what the big citizen can do. I love the, these concepts and the distinction that it can't just be we look to others to solve the big problems, but you found a way to use your skills to leverage the, the resources and the people around you to solve big problems without necessarily being like the, the elected official. Yeah. I learned along the way that my superpower is looking at other people and seeing their greatness and reflecting it back on them in a way that they can finally believe it and act upon it. And for me, being in politics, you know, helped me to live in this world of optimism and idealism. And even though politics is so ugly and horrible so many times, it's often also a place full of hope and excitement and idealism. And when I was ready to go back out on the campaign and trail again, my then boss said to me, uh, you're kind of too old to eat cold pizza and sleep on high school school gymnasium floors, and you're you're kind of too young to be the domestic policy advisor. So uh, maybe you should go hide out in the nonprofit sector for four years and then come back and do something big on Al Gore's campaign. And I thought, yeah, that's great, that's awesome. And I ended up talking to a man who ran the the the, the largest uh, search firm in the country that did specifically nonprofit leadership work. And he said, oh, you don't want to work in the nonprofit sector. You want to come work for me. And I said, okay, awesome. The, the person I'm dating, who I'm, I, I hope I'm going to marry, is moving to Boston and your job's in Boston. So uh, yeah, I'll take the job. What do you do? What's the job? <laughs> and so I did what any self-respecting idealist with absolutely no skills whatsoever, but a Rolodex that could choke a horse should do. I went into headhunting. So I like I took this huge Rolodex. Like I I ended up unwittingly be, having an amazing network and this great Rolodex and being able to 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 drop it into being again the person who's facilitating greatness in other people. So we could help the person who is the one who needs to be raising money to find the cure to cancer or being the person out front who's, who's, who's talking about civil rights and social justice issues right at the right time when there's, you know, riots, you know, erupting in Ferguson and things like that. And, and it, it, it was a great way for me to say, I know how to meet people. I know how to figure out their stories. I know how to do it in a way where relationships stick that doesn't feel like, you know, transactional networking. And I can do it in a way where I see greatness in other people and then help them bring that greatness into the world. And so, you know, 20 years of, of headhunting became, uh, became a vehicle for me to sort of to, to harness the superpower and, and put it out into the universe. Becoming the CEO of the firm was like an accident. Becoming the leader was like, that was just a byproduct. <laughs> yeah, what a wonderful opportunity to to use this. I love what you're describing as your superpower. It's like, it's phenomenal um, to, to have a superpower, but also to recognize that. We all have that. superpowers though. We all have to, to recognize that superpower within you. I think some people, maybe it's a little dormant. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that some people's superpower is dormant. I think some people think their superpower should be something else because that's what the world has told us it should be. And so we spend all of this time trying to live in someone else's definition of success. And 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 we don't get there and we feel like a failure because we're not stopping and saying, well, what do I consider to be success? So if growing up I was told you'd be a great lawyer, you're an argumentative kid, you should go run for office. And suddenly I'm not a lawyer. I'm no longer argumentative. I'm ridiculously confrontation averse. And I'm not in political office. Like, am I a failure? I don't know. I would argue that I've had a pretty good run. But it's because I decided finally to ignore everybody else and what everyone else thinks my superpower should be and actually figure out what my superpower really is and then live into that every single day. So what I love is that this segues so beautifully into the topic of your latest book. And when this airs, the book will be available. Um, So I I wanted to do that because I thought if I teased about it, and it wasn't available, people would be really disappointed. <laughs> so I made sure that it's going to be available. So you, you've written about transition um, quite a bit in your books. You've written about uh, moving from a for-profit to a mission-driven uh, workplace. You've written about um, just career transitions in general. Like you, you have this interesting perspective of, of politics and nonprofit, relationship building. Like you said, this, this Rolodex that you're able to tap into. What's different 
about this new book that you have coming out about Limitless? Um, what's different about the new book is that I, I, I've spent most of my career helping people figure out how to go from nonprofit to, to or from for-profit to nonprofit work and how to, um, to, to have this moment in their career where they, they want to make a shift into mission-driven work. And when I, the, the book sort of came about in a funny way. I was asked to write the book as part of a guidebook series uh, about find, how to find purpose in work. And as I was writing it, I was really just condensing my last book of 80,000 words on the subject of how do you find purpose in nonprofit work and putting that into this book on how to find purpose. And my publisher called me up one day and he said, you know, it seems to me that there are a lot of other ways that people can feel purposeful and feel like their work matters than just nonprofit work. And I thought, well, of course there are. And then I just rattled off, you know, 15 different ways to do it while we were on the phone. And he was like, good, go write that book. <laughs> he said, he said, I'm, I'm firing you from the guidebook series that you didn't even want to write in the first place. And we're going to do your book in hardback in April because it's a big idea and go write that. And as I was reflecting on you know, why was it that I was able to just rattle this off for him so quickly? I realized that I've spent 20 years, yes, interviewing people for nonprofit jobs, but the people that I interviewed were coming out of nonprofits. They were coming out of the public sector. They were coming out of the corporate world. They were coming out of graduate school. They were coming back from, you know, not having work, you know, having kids or being sick or taking care of family members. Like they were coming from everywhere. And so I was interviewing people from every walk of life, from every level of the corporate or nonprofit ladder and from every sector. And what I realizes that there was a similar theme for everybody, which was even those who felt successful didn't always necessarily feel happy. And I thought that that was an interesting question. What if success didn't equal happiness? Why, when people are at the top of the game, when they're super successful, they still feel stressed and busy and on the treadmill and feel like it doesn't really matter? How do they do work that matters, whatever that is? And so I sat one down, down one day and I thought to myself, well, what if your purpose is saving the whales or feeding the poor or educating the, the, the illiterate? Great. That feels purposeful. Why do so many people that I know in that world feel like their work doesn't matter and that they're on this treadmill? What if your goal in life is buying a beach house and a Maserati? Who's to say that that's not purpose, right? That's your purpose. It's not my purpose. I don't have any judgment on your purpose. Nobody has judgment on your purpose but you. And so I was just sort of struck with this idea of what if success didn't equal happiness and how do we get there? And what I came to was that success has to be defined in the same way that leadership has to be defined as coming from ourselves, right? Once I realized that leadership was leading from the back and from the center and from the side in the way that I could lead, then I was a successful leader. If I continued to beat my head against the wall to try to be the leader from the front, then it was going to be like organ rejection. It just wasn't going to work. And in fact, once I founded my own firm and I ran that for 15 years, I was the person leading from the front. But it turns out that I wasn't very good at it. And I brought on a business partner several years in who became the person who took care of everybody and helped them with their 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 um, uh, their professional development and quality control and teaching and learning and growth. And I was the cheerleader who was cheering them from behind, from the side, from the center, from the places where I am best. And once that happened, the firm really thrived. So I write in my book about how do we find consonants? How do we find alignment so that everything that we do and everything that we feel and that we're good at is sort of in this flow where we're leaning into not being all things to all people in the Sheryl Sandberg way that we know now doesn't work, but leaning into the person we are when we're at our very best and then creating a world in which that work builds the life that we want to have. I, I, I'm loving the trajectory of your career and how it sort of unfolded. I think in, in the rear mirror, it all makes sense. But I can imagine that it, there were moments uh, where you had to make decisions. And sometimes decisions may have been made for you. <clears throat> and now they, they, it all works. It all makes sense. And, and it flows. And you, you found meaning in it. And you're now translating that into how to help other people find meaning and and that in some ways it sounds like meaning can be success like when you find meaning in the work that you do success follows as opposed to trying to find success in a more abstract way am i am i yes so i think that success when when we are in consonance we feel successful and i believe that consonance comes from having four specific elements and each of us at every age and at every life stage will want and need these elements in different amounts. So um, the first element is calling. 
some higher purpose, some something that you care about. Um, and higher purpose doesn't have to be higher purpose with you know capital H, capital P. It, it's just your higher purpose. It's the reason you get out of bed. So yes, maybe it's curing cancer. Maybe it's buying a Maserati. Maybe it's a brand that you love, a business that you want to build as an entrepreneur, a leader who you look up to and who inspires you. But something, some North Star that gives you direction. That's the first. The second is uh, connection. Understanding how the work that you do on a daily basis connects to, to serving that calling, whatever that calling may be. So why do you, at this moment, in this box, in this organizational chart, in this organization, why do you matter? Why does the work you do matter? If you, didn't, if you called in sick to work tomorrow, would it matter? Right? That's connection. Well, connection is about the work. Contribution, which is the third, is all about you. So how does the work that you're doing uh, you know, going towards that calling, how does the, how does the work that you are doing on a daily basis allow you to either manifest your values into the world, to live the lifestyle that you want to live, to, um, to, to, to build a career trajectory that you're looking for? How does this work contribute to that thing that you want? And then lastly, control. How much control do you want and need over the connection and contribution that this work has to your calling? And at every age and every life stage, it's different. So again, we talked about when I worked on Bill Clinton's 92 campaign, I had calling out the wazoo. I mean, it was like I was inspired and I was, I, I, I was, I was happy to you know, eat ramen. I was worth my weight in ramen soup and it was great. I had absolutely no connection whatsoever. I was fetching coffee. I mean, I was 21 years old. I was a gopher. I was a, a total peon. And I didn't care because I had so much calling, it didn't matter. Contribution, I was young. I could live in a rat-infested hovel and it didn't make a difference because I cared so much about the work, but I did have the contribution to, if this thing works, this could be a really interesting launch of my career. And the control, I had none whatsoever, but I didn't need it because I didn't have young kids or aging parents or any of those other things. Now I'm you know, going to be 48 in a, in, in, in a few weeks and I've got two teenage kids. I've got parents in their 70s. I have a husband with a, a, a inflexible busy job. I've got a you know house to run. Like I've got, I'm sitting on a few nonprofit boards. I'm involved in political campaigns. I got stuff, right? So I, I, the calling matters, but my calling is shifted not to just be this overarching thing that I'm blinded by, but really creating this life that I care about and this flexibility in this, this, this world. The connection, my work better matter because every time I I sit down at my desk, I'm doing it and sacrificing something else I could or should be doing. Somebody else has some other burning fire. In terms of contribution, I, 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 I really deeply care about manifesting the values I want to, to live in my life. And I have a lot of people, my teenagers that are, who look at me and think they're, they're looking at me, they're seeing what I'm doing. They're judging what I'm doing or really judging what I'm doing because they're teenagers, but they're, 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 they are, they're, it's shaping who they are as people by seeing who I am. And so I, that piece of contribution matters. And then control, I have learned that I am just a massive control freak and I like to have order. I like to have control. I like to have a very specific system of the way that I do things and when I do them. And so control means more to me now than some of the other things. And so at every age and at every stage, you will find that your need to have calling, connection, contribution, and control will be different. And I actually put together a quiz that your listeners should take at limitlessassessment.com. And we can share that uh, later in, in the show notes as well. But at limitlessassessment.com, your listeners can go on. It's, 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 the quiz is about 60 questions and it goes through each of the four elements and it takes about 10 to 15 minutes to do. And at the end of it, you get a, a, a double radar chart, one that shows the four elements and how much you want of each. And then the other overlaying it that shows the four elements and how much you actually have of each. And then it gives tips on if you, you want more calling but don't have enough, or if you have too much control and don't really need it, here are things that you can do. Here are some things that you can do, some active changes you can make right now to start moving in that direction. Well, and I, I have to say, watching you describe all that, because I know that people aren't getting the visual, you are so animated. <laughs> you are so in your, your element talking about this. So, so this, which brings me to one of my favorite questions on this, which is, what do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today? Oh gosh, that's such a great question. I know they're always they always they always tell us you're not supposed to say it's a great question because then what about the others? Like <laughs> that's not a great question. But that 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 you know what I love is um I love that moment when somebody's eyes light up and they're like, oh yes, I get it now. Like, because you know, so I do a lot of public speaking and one of my uh, one of my my coaches, a man by the name of Michael Port, likes to say that there's a huge difference 
in public speaking between somebody who gets up in front of you and you listen to them speak and then you go, yeah, she's right. She's interesting. She's inspirational. She's had a great, fantastic career. She's right. And that's right. That's right. I understand it. There's a framework. I can unpack it. It's motivational to me to now make those steps. So the difference between she's right, good for her, I can never do it. And that's right. That's amazing. And now I know how is a huge difference. And so for me, I love the moment when somebody's like, yes, that's right. And then you can already see them excited to make the plan for the next step. That's awesome answer. And I, I totally agree. That moment of, of like the eyes light up, the, the things start to click. Uh, people start to take action themselves. I just had a client, I've been helping um, her review her weekly emails. That I, I helped her start writing a weekly email. And after like six of them, I, my only comment was, you're doing such a good job. Like I'm firing myself. Yes, from fire reviewing. me. Please fire me. <laughs> I'm firing myself from, from reviewing your weekly emails. Like you don't need me anymore. You found your voice. Um, and, and to know how the first two times she wrote it was like painful. Um, it was just, she just couldn't get out of her own way about it. And like, just so unsure, so unsure, not, you know, is this okay? Is this okay? And then by the, you know, week six, it, she writes it and I'm like, this is great. I'm done. Like that to me, like get to the point where you don't need me. And was she ready? Was she like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I'm good. Or that's yeah. she had confidence. So I believe like we have this completely mistaken idea about confidence. We think like, if you can dream it, you can do it. And I think that's malarkey. Um, I, I could dream that I could be the queen of England all day long and my pup is not bringing me, you know, it, first of all, she's not a corgi. So, you know, she's not one of the queen's <laughs> dogs. Um, but my dog is not bringing me tea and crumpets at 3 p.m. I'm on my own for that, right? So it doesn't matter how much I want to dream that this thing is going to happen. I don't believe that dreaming something helps you do it. And frankly, I think the only thing that we can dream about is what we think might be possible. So, you know, if you're at the bottom of a mountain and you look up at the top of the mountain, you think, I'm going to dream about going to the top because that's all you can see. But once you get to the top, there's like an entire mountain range out there. So if all you did was settle your dreams by what was in front of you right now, then you would be so limited in those dreams. And you know, the title of my book is Limitless because I really want people to be limitless in what they do. So for me, I, and, and this is what you did with your clients so beautifully, is that you allowed her to gain confidence by starting to demonstrate competence. So she did it one week, you helped her a lot. She did it the next week, you helped her a little less. She did it the next week. And each week she needed you less and less because she was finding her feet. She was finding her voice. She was, she was developing competence to the point that then she felt confidence to do it on her own. And that's yeah. an amazing thing. That is leadership. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I just thought to mention it too, because it's such a small example of the way we can have an impact on other people's lives. Like we often think we have to make these huge changes for people. But I think there's a ripple effect from that moment, how she like steps into her own around her business. And I think, you know, examples of, of, of email lists are interesting because people think of them as like a necessary evil and they put them off, they don't do them. But you and I understand the value of relationship building and that that's just one step in a journey of a connection with, with your community, with your prospective buyers, um, with the people you're influencing, whatever your business is, that's just a piece of what you're trying to do. And when you see it as a value add, not just like a must do, I think that's partly what you did. It was a shift in perspective about what this task meant for her overall business. And that actually helped make it possible to write something that felt more meaningful to her than just a rote exercise of, okay, I sent out my weekly email. So I think part of it is like helping people see what you're talking about, which is like a purpose behind small things and big things so they can actually be, be present in, in, the, in the work of it. Yeah, I think if you ask most people why they start their own businesses or why they're trying to network or what they're doing, it's not because they want to make lots of money. I mean, they do. That's part of it. But that's usually not the only reason, right? That the, Making lots of money is a byproduct of doing all the other stuff. And they're doing something that they, they at least have some interest in doing. So, you know, if, you, if, you, if I were to ask this client of yours, 
why she started a business. It's probably because she wants to do whatever it is that she's doing for the people who are buying her services, whether it's mm-hmm. consulting with them or coaching them or, or selling to them or whatever it is, because she thinks whatever she's offering is going to make their lives better. And yet, whenever we do a pitch, and this happened to me when I was running my business, I sat down with a friend of mine who, who uh, is a fairly well-known leader in the nonprofit sector. And I said, I don't understand why I'm not getting all of the searches I'm pitching. I mean, obviously, you're not going to win everything, but I don't understand why I'm not getting all the searches. And I'm trying to figure out why, how I can get more. And he said, fine, try out your pitch on me. So I gave him my pitch. And you know, I told him all about how we do search completely differently. We've upended the nonprofit sector and how we're so geeked out about our model and how we're really serving them in a way that's making it more cost efficient and how we're, you know, like all of the stuff. And at the end of it, and it was, and it was, and I was, I was firing on all cylinders. Like I was, it was a good practice pitch I gave him. And at the end, he looked at me and he's like, so when do you find me the good candidates? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you never said we find excellent candidates. And I said, well, of course we do. That's table stakes. And he said, every other search firm walks in the door and says, we find excellent candidates. Now let me tell you how. And it was such an aha moment for me because I walked in assuming that they knew that we were on the same team. And I just wanted to tell them how we did it. And I didn't solve their problem. I didn't go in with their problem first. And then you'll start noticing this now. Every time you get a pitch from a consulting firm or from anybody, they walk in with their big deck. And the first deck... Uh, slide says it has their logo on it. And then the next one has their mission statement on it. And then the next one has a picture of the beautiful building. And then the next one might have a picture of like the three old guys who run the place. And then finally, maybe they start talking about their process, but you're already like five pages into their deck before they even start to talk about your problem. And you know, they're presenting to you their problem, which is they need more clients and they need more income, but your problem is different. And the only problem you care about is your problem, right? Like if you're right. getting them more clients, <laughs> right, great. But it's fascinating to me. And now like it, it's, this will be something you can't unhear. You can't unsee it. You're going to start noticing and be like, oh God, Lord, she's <laughs> ruined this for me. Um, but but it, 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 when I think about networking, with other people, the last thing that they want to hear about is me. The last thing they want to hear is my elevator pitch. The last thing they want to hear is like why I'm there, what my agenda is. Everybody's favorite topic of conversation is themselves. And so you have to figure out a way to be interesting to them. And what changed with your client is that she, I think, was able to see the the, the email newsletter list and the networking of it as her finding her voice to do the things she loves for her clients. Like it was interesting because she was talking about their stuff. And I would imagine she'd probably get a much bigger open rate and response rate from that. Well, it's, I love that you, you sort of, you named it um, in one of her first, she was announcing something and um, it was a podcast she was launching. And uh, she's, she talked all about herself and how exciting it was that she yeah. made this dream of hers come. And I sort of said, it's not about you. I'm really Nobody sorry. Cares. I'm I really know. sorry, but it's not about you. So she rewrote it about, the, about how she was bringing this resource to life for yes. her audience and how it will serve them and who should listen and what they'll get from it. And that shift is part of like that journey that you're talking about and you're applying it to networking, which I think is brilliant because too many people do walk in with their own agenda. If they have an agenda at all, I'd be, I'd be honest, most people, right? They just, they barely get out of the house and they don't have any reason for why they left. So you just, they get to the place. I always say that you can stay home if it's only about content because you can get content from the comfort of your home. If you're mm-hmm. going to bother to leave the house and go all the way to the event or the conference, or the meeting, then you have to be going for connection. But yes. to have connection, you have to have a purpose behind why you're going and set some intentions. And so the people who generally have the most intention setting are the salesy people who are like intending to sell you. But for most yes. people, they're just there to meet people and connect, but they don't really set the purpose behind it. And they get kind of disappointed about the outcome. So yes. I'm, I'm always like, you got to you know coach people on that. So you figure that out. And now you're helping other people because I know that you're in a mentor role in a lot of, either formally or informally, in a lot of spaces that you occupy. You're, you're, you very much embody the idea of giving back. I, I mean, it's just so clear to me that you learn something, you figure out how to do it best, you, you document it, and you share it. Right? Am I am I saying this correctly? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's so true. I'm 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 in a number of like you know private Facebook groups where people are trying to figure out you know whether it's speaking or writing or 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 becoming a recognized expert, and 
you know, when you do that, you might have to do something like make a speaking contract. And then when you make the speaking contract, you're like, well, in order for me to do that, I want to know how everybody else does it. And you ask people to share their contracts and you ask them if it's okay to share those. And, you know, since I had to do it myself, I, I looked at 20 different contracts from very well-known speakers and then made notes on them for this is how people handle travel. This is how people handle intellectual property. This is how people handle, um, uh, you know, fees, whatever the things are. And I had to make the notes. So I was like, well, I'll have the notes. I'll just share in a Google Doc for everybody. And now every time for like the last two years, anybody's looking at creating a, a contract, they're like, go look at Laura's Google Doc. It's the greatest thing ever. But like, I just, I don't feel like there's any reason to husband your, 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 your knowledge, right? Like we all get better together. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about networking. I think the thing that holds people back from networking is that they, they, they feel like there's this power dynamic. Like I'm only here to ask something from you and you, what do, I don't have anything to give to you. And it really holds them back. And I think, I think just remembering that life is very long and you're not, it's not a transactional thing. You're actually creating a relationship that's for long-term. And if you're thinking about just transaction, then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I got to get out there. I got to give them my elevator pitch. I got to like stand in front of them and I got to like sell them right now. And, you know, a watershed moment for me was when I realized that the people who are there who I want to connect with, who are like, you know, the big important people, because that's why I want to connect with them, um, they're, they're pretty busy. So the fact that they're at this event means that they're there for a reason too. And when I realized that they're there for a reason and they have their own agenda and their agenda sure as heck ain't talking to me, right? Like that's when I realized that my, my, my whole role at the event is not to get them to say yes to like giving me a, you know, like to, 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 to like becoming my mentor or like inviting me to something or whatever. My entire purpose is to get them to say, yes, I'd love to, um, you're welcome to follow up with an email or yes, uh, give me a call or just the whole point of the conversation at these networking events is just to get them to say, yeah, I'd love to talk about it at some point, but not to have to like get them to commit to giving you funding or joining your board or, you know, go like being the headliner at your event or any of the, the big ass that you want. It's really, it's really about just starting the conversation and then letting them get onto their agenda because they're there for other people. Mm-hmm. You know, you were, you were yeah. just like a drive-by. They weren't expecting you. And yeah. so it's like letting them get onto their, they will be so grateful that you actually had the grace and you knew how to handle it. Right. That they'll say yes to anything. That's such a brilliant, um, I've never heard anyone say it quite so succinctly about how, you know, when the VIPs show up in the room, they have their own agenda. They're not really, their agenda is not to be pitched. <laughs> no, nobody's going to an event because they're like, I hope I go to this event and get pitched all day by people who want jobs from me. Like, you know, yeah. it reminds me actually of um, there are like meetup groups that are titled entrepreneurs and VCs, and there's <laughs> never any VCs there. Exactly. It's <laughs> like, why would the VCs go to this event called entrepreneurs and VCs? <laughs> exactly. Unless they want to be like, eaten alive. Like, exactly. And certainly they're there, and their entire intention there is to go and like, drop a couple of nuggets, tell people what they fund, and then get the heck out, right? They're yeah. not there. They, they do not think they're going to find the next Facebook or Instagram. Right. Like, they're not sitting in front of these. They're events. not there to mingle. They're, yeah, they're there to share knowledge. They could be on a panel or something, exactly. But Correct. it's very different than, than you know, how we're thinking of, of it. And the other thing I was thinking about, how Dale Carnegie has this great quote about um, to be interesting, be interested. Yes. And I just think that's another one of those like aha moments that, you know, if you just pay attention to other people, that's, that's their favorite topic, right? And you engage them. And, and I always think leave a conversation on a high note, like even if it means leaving kind of early, quote unquote, like yes. leave before it's time and move to another conversation, leave them wanting to talk to you again at some point. Yes, like, that's always, grace. always. That's, do that. that's part of grace. I mean, one of, one of the easiest things to do, like we all are walking around with like a supercomputer in our pocket all day long. If you are invited to an event, do some homework. It's not that hard. Look to see who's on the guest list. Look to see who's the guest of honor. Um, see who's on the board of the organization. See, um, you know, if you happen to know the person who's involved, ask them if they can give you a list of people who might be there. Read the paper in the morning, for God's sakes. Like it's, or, you know, read online, whatever. But, you know, it's easy for you to do a Google search for the company, for the person, for the cause, for the nonprofit that is going to be front and center and have 
one or two or God forbid, three potentially interesting things to say. It's just not that hard. And you can do it on the elevator on the way up if you need to. It is it is not difficult. So, you know, doing that homework allows you to look like you're, you know, you've got the networks and the knowledge and the experience. And even if you're not there pontificating about something you just read, because if you do that, you're going to look like a moron. Ask, you can ask smart questions. Again, everybody's favorite topic of conversation is themselves. So if you end up standing in front of the person who is the person you want to get to, they don't want to listen to you pontificate about you know something that everybody can read in the paper, but you can ask them a smart question based on that. Like, oh, I saw that article this morning and I'm wondering what you think about so-and-so's take on whatever. And then they start talking and you can just sit there and nod your head and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's amazing. Oh, that's really, I'd love to follow up and talk deeper about that. Would you mind if I got your car? Could I follow up and maybe we could have coffee sometime? You know what I love about that is that that's an example of how to make someone think you're fascinating. Yes. <laughs> because you don't have to say very much. You make them think they're amazing. And when you walk away, they're like, wow, that person's really fascinating. <laughs> And I would have clients for years and, and I would say to them, you are going to be tempted during the conversation to talk a lot about your organization and not let them talk as the candidate. And then when you leave, when, when they leave, I'm going to ask you how the interview went and you're going to say it went great. And I'm going to say, what did you learn about the candidate? And you're not going to be able to tell me anything because you talked too much. That's a problem. Like people yeah. think conversations go well when they do the majority of the talking. I'm on your podcast right now. I'm your guest. I'm supposed to be the majority of, the, of talking. This conversation's going great. <laughs> <laughs> you may not think that. My guess is that you have people on your show who talk a lot and you're like, mm, that one wasn't so good. But everybody thinks a conversation goes well if they are the person who's talking. So if you allow someone else to do the talking and be the expert, then you're a genius. You're fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of networking, I, I want to know about, so you've met just so many kinds of people in the world. Um, you, your work has taken you across industries, across fields, um, levels of organizations. Uh, it, it's, it's really your, your Rolodex continues. And by the way, for those listening, that's that, <laughs> What's device, <laughs> that's that device that you put cards in and you can turn it with one hand and flip through with the other. Actually, I had a 20 year old watch Mad Men and you can yeah. read on I Mad had an Men. intern years ago who said, it's an organizational database. And she was using her hands to show how it's her. <laughs> like a Rubik's Cube. Um, yeah, exactly. She was, it was about 15 years ago. So It's back when we used to write things with pens and paper. <laughs> so here's my question, Cursive. Laura. <laughs> How do you nurture not your innermost tier, your close friends and colleagues and clients, but that second and even third tier out, the people that you worked with 15 years ago, the people that you meet once a year at a conference several years in a row, and you really enjoy them, but you don't have any business to work with them or collaborate. You just, you like them. Or when you're traveling, like how do you stay connected or re-engage with people? Like what are your habits or practices or philosophies around nurturing and sustaining your sort of community at, at large, your network at large? Yeah, gosh, it's, it's, it's something that I, it's something that I do unintentionally and I've tried to make it more intentional lately. Um, some of that's because I have a book coming out and I'm like, oh, I really should start, you know, I don't want to be the person who's like, oh, hi, you haven't heard from me for 15 years. Please buy my, you know, Amway products, right? Like it's, I mean, you want to make sure that, that the connections are live. But as I started to think about doing it more intentionally, what I realized is that I've really kind of been doing it all along anyway. Um, we are all part of circles of people and, 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 and in, in every day we have opportunities, we have touch points for that. And I think a lot of us don't keep up with people because we think, oh, they don't want to be bothered by me. They don't want to hear from me. But if you see an article that you think is interesting to somebody, if you come across a meme, if you come across um, a story, anything, a tweet, and you think it's something interesting, you can literally pop onto Facebook or pop onto Instagram or Twitter and send it to that person. Be like, hey, saw this thought of you, thought you'd love it. Or um, if you know that you're going to be going to New York or Austin or Vancouver, you know, I can name all the places that I, I travel so much. Um, sometimes I'll just go on Facebook and I'll say, hey, my travel in the next month consists of these five cities. Let me know if you, let me know if you, if, if, if you're in one of them. I would love to see you. And I have friends who say to me, God, that's crazy. You're just like welcoming all the crazy into anybody who wants to have your time will have your time. But it's really pretty contained because if I'm flying in somewhere and I have an hour in between you know, um, a, a coffee appointment and a lunch appointment, why not just say, I'm going to be at this coffee shop during this time. It's time that frankly, I probably would have spent 
you know, looking at social media anyway and not really being um, that productive. And it's, and, and, and then people arrive and they hang out. What's amazing about that is that I don't just say, I haven't seen so-and-so for my White House days in 20 years, and I haven't seen so-and-so for my search days in 10 years. I have to see them separately. I see them at the same time. And actually, then they end up creating a relationship because they create a relationship. Our relationship is even deeper because every time they get together in the same city where it's easy for them to do it, they talk about me and how much they love me, mostly because they haven't seen me in 10 or 20 years. So they think I'm amazing. But what's really great is that is that you create you let, again, it's the same thing with networking where the other person's talking. You let other people do a lot of the work to keep that connection going. But I think in this day and age of social media, it is really, it is not hard to stay connected as long as you stop thinking that you're a burden and that you're uninteresting. Just go out there, put yourself out there and, and, and live your life. And, you know, I am... I am an intensely private person, but if you know me on social media, you think that I'm public about everything. The truth is I'm probably 100% public with about 60% of my life, right? But like you never see stuff about my husband really on social media. You don't really see stuff about my, my, my home. I put some of my political stuff on there, but not everything. I don't talk about, you know, the hard things and the scary things and the, you know, like, but I'm very public about other stuff. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very athletic and I'll be public about the struggle that it takes to get there. So, you know, it's not all just like my life is amazing. Like I, there is hard stuff, but I, I figured out that the best, the best, uh, off the best defense is a good offense. And so I don't have to share, I don't have to live out loud and be, I don't have to give myself to everyone in order to give enough of myself to, to, to anyone who wants a part of that. Mm-hmm. And then when they do, whether they're, you know, the CEO or the janitor, I, they are the same person to me. I welcome them with open arms because I really fully believe that we live in a world where there is everybody out there knows something about something we don't know anything about. And we can learn from everyone. Gosh, there's so much to unpack there. So what I'm going to tell everyone to do is rewind and listen <laughs> to the last few minutes over again. Um, but, I, but, you know, you made me think of something that I did. So you and I know, both know Dory Clark, and she's been a friend of mine for a long time. Um, and she's kind of a hard person to impress because she knows a lot of people. So I can't make great introductions for her. She knows a lot about the world. <laughs> um, so I can't teach her things. So I, I saw this device that you hang it when you're traveling and you put your, your shirt on it and you turn this, the shower on and it like steams your clothes. But it also was multi-purpose and had like 17 functions. <laughs> so it was one wow. of these like multi-tool kits that you know opened a bottle of beer, opened a bottle of wine, uh, served as you know a shoehorn. I mean, I don't even remember. It was like yeah. And I know that she likes to you know keep things to. Uh, she's very much a minimalist, and I was yes. like, this is so perfect for her. No, I didn't buy it because if she doesn't want it, I'm not going to send her just random crap. Um, but I did send her a link and said, this is why I think you'd like this. And yes. I think that's the kind of like completely random bonus that you know someone well enough to say, here's the article that I think you should read because of the work you're doing right now. Yes. Like that kind yes. of like in the moment resource. It costs you no money. It costs you no time and it earns you great relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So little things like that can matter a lot. Um, so in the few minutes that we have left, I want to know, you know, when we're reconnecting and I, I'm excited that you live local, that we will continue to stay in touch. But yeah. let's say a year from now, we have this like moment of reflection and we're saying, wow, Laura, you had an amazing year. What are we going to be celebrating? What are the achievements that you will, will, will be looking back on a year from now? Oh, I'm going to be hanging out with Oprah on her Soul Sunday talking about how to make people limitless by helping them find their consonants. That's that's my goal. My my I have a crazy moonshot goal that I think that my book should be required reading for every college freshman. Um, who's trying to figure out whether or not they follow the path that their teachers, their parents, their mentors have told them they have to follow without some introspection about what it is that actually creates success. I would love some some sort of mass market amplification, whether it's like Reese Witherspoon's uh, uh, book club or Oprah or somebody who says, yes, I hear this, I feel this, this resonated with me and I think it can affect other people. Um, I would I would like for people of of all different walks of life. I have done 
um, talks where I've given this consonance framework to everyone from uh, African American millennial women of color in the education space to you know middle aged white guys um, that are entrepreneurs in um, in 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 you know in their own businesses in in the north of Calgary. I mean, I've I've, I've really run the spectrum of people, and it seems like there is somebody can find something in this to resonate with. And I I wrote kind of wrote the book by accident, and now I'm realizing that it's got legs and it's kind of cool. And I'm I'm hoping that we can look back in a year and celebrate that. In fact, it 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 was something that helped a lot of people. Yeah, I love that your focus is so much on impact, and and because that's true. Most people they've made money in their life; they'll they'll make more money. But you're you're all about really clearly it's about impact even more than the income attached to it. And you know that when you inspire people, they do more in the world. So that's I hope all those things. A comeback and and you know hey you've been on the Today Show so like anything is possible you know like you know, the someone's moon. got someone's got to be on on those book lists like it, yeah. it can't just all be famous people like there are people that are on the list that we've never heard of and so it's got to be someone why why should, why couldn't it be me like I feel that way about everything and I hope that your listeners feel that way that like if you've got this big crazy goal someone's got to do it. Like, yeah. why shouldn't it be them? Like, there's no reason. Like, if you're going to put, the, if you're willing to put the work in to, you know, in the dark when nobody sees to make it happen, it's going to be someone. Why not you? So Laura, where can people find you and follow your work? Uh, so they can find me at uh, at my website, lauragastneroding.com. That's a long name. Um, so I also bought the URL, heylgo, like, hey there, heylgo.com. So they can find me there too. I hope that they'll take the the assessment, the Limitless Quiz at limitlessassessment.com. And my book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life is available for sale on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm so thrilled that you were here and the, all those links and resources will be in the show notes at onthechmoose.com. Laura, thank you so much. Oh, I'm also going to give you my top 20 super awesome networking tips. So Ooh. for your networkers for On The Schmooze, um, these are my like, be careful because you may be able to walk through walls, but um, this is how to network and feel really, really good about it. So thank you, Robbie. I'm so excited to have been here. I'm so excited to have you as a new friend. and. Um, yeah, I can't wait to look back on a year and see where you are too. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Laura. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonate with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 138. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. I also wanted to remind you that the next cohort of the MORE program for entrepreneurial women kicks off in about a month. If you've wondered about working with me, email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com for a complimentary session, and we'll see if we're a good fit. There's room for only four women. Will you be one of them? If you enjoyed this episode with Laura, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe. So you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional with their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network and the way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.